Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Compete Waffle. My name's Alicia. I'm an advanced sports dietitian and co-founder of Compete Nutrition. Now this episode is on all things hormones, a topic that gets a lot of time on our social media feeds. Uh, it comes up a lot in Google and it is something that probably gets thrown around a lot without a really innate understanding of what it actually means to have any hormonal issues or a hormonal imbalance and what that means to our health and our performance in both our life but also in sport. Now, Although we touched on this topic a couple of weeks ago and we covered adrenal fatigue, what it is theoried to be, what it may be instead, and why this isn't an actual condition, we are very appreciative that we are not experts in hormones. Uh, and it's for this reason that we got an actual endocrinologist in to chat to us today, um, which is Dr. Izzy Smith. Now, for those who haven't met Izzy, she is a phenomenal human. She's very active on social media. So if you don't give her a follow already, absolutely do so. Um, she's not only a doctor, but also loves running running, activity, and he's very passionate about mental health and men's mental health in particular. Um, and so, yes, definitely worth a follow to get all of her little bits of information that she shares daily. Now, we cover a lot in this podcast. I had an amazing time, first of all, really scoping out what questions I was going to ask Izzy. It was very hard to choose. Um, but also, I was very concerned about how long we could possibly talk to because there is a lot of content within each of those questions that I wanted to bring up with Izzy. Now, the good thing is, is that we have kept this podcast to a beautiful time limit accidentally um, because of Izzy's beautiful um, responses. They are so well-timed. They are so beautifully translated and they are easy to action, which I really, really like. Any pragmatic responses within such a um, you know technical field of health are so appreciated. And so we not only go through what hormones are and how they impact our health, we also go through what the next steps are to looking after our overall health, making sure our hormones are happy, um, but also in managing our overall performance, both in our life and in sports. So without further ado, I'm going to let Izzy do the rest of the talking, but I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did um, recording it. I learned a lot just listening to Izzy chat and describe all these different functions. So I, I'm sure you will too. So thank you so much again for joining the Compete Waffle and we will connect again soon. Cheers. Hello, Izzy. Welcome to the Compete Waffle. Thanks so much, Alicia. I've listened to the Compete Waffle so many times, so it's very exciting for me to be a guest. We are so excited to have you on. Now, the main reason I reached out was to do with all things hormones. And I did this, I did this shout out on our Instagram. I'm like, who knows someone who's really good <laughs> in endocrinology? And I got these messages going, ah, Dr. Izzy. And I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> How embarrassing. And I quickly deleted Don't the Instagram story. Instagram is a funny land. So we have met via Instagram really. And I think that's the beauty of Instagram is you just get to do these phenomenal connections. And so, yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of this um, conversation. It's one that I have frequently, but I am so glad I've got someone in the know who knows a lot more than me to talk through it. I know I'm really excited, Alicia. I think hormone health, especially to do with athletic performance is a field that is growing rapidly especially for, you know, in both men and women, but especially in women, is looking at, you know, our hormones, not as a barrier to performance, but looking at how we can use our hormones and knowing our hormone health to really optimise our performance. So, yeah, it's an exciting field that's growing lots and I think we'll keep getting a lot more attention in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I'll have to... Um 
yeah, we'll have to make sure we touch a little bit on the um, female menstrual cycle stuff. But males listening, don't panic. A lot of this is to do with both genders. So do not stress. We are going to cover something for everyone today. Yeah, happy to talk. You know, hormone problems are really common in, um, especially in male cyclists and some endurance athletes. And it's quite ironic that often men, when they're looking, you know, really ripped and quite classically masculine, often they have low testosterone and can have some hormone problems. So it's something that women have, you know, a better sign of losing their periods to know about. But, you know, men get problems with their hormones just as much as women athletes, I would say. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Now, for those who haven't met Dr. Izzy, can you tell us a little bit about your background, um, who you are, what you're currently up to, and just anything about your obsessions, passions, whatever? Um, so, my name's Izzy. I am a doctor based in Sydney. I am finishing off my specialist training in endocrinology, which is the study of all things hormone health and also general medicine, which is, you know, heart, lungs, kidneys, pretty much any ology. Um, and I have a, I decided to do endocrinology because I love all things sport and it was the best specialty to combine my passion for athletic performance with medicine. Myself, I was a gymnast when I was young. I lived, breathed gymnastics. I was never that good. I got to the RAS a few times, but never good enough to stay there for very long. And, but when I was in um, university, I really got into running. And that was very important for my mental health and stress levels. And since then, we've kind of kept running. I'm also, you know, not that great, but I'm really passionate about improving my own performance and that at whatever level athlete, you should, you know, strive to be your best and, you know, have the right knowledge and support to do that. And so, yeah, that's why I'm doing our um, endocrinology. I'm passionate that all people should be able to play sport and, you know, managing type one diet, people with type one diabetes is part of that. Also bone health in athletes. A lot of people can actually have weak bones called osteopenia. And I think that's really under-recognized in sport. Also, you know, you do a lot of management of type two diabetes and other metabolic conditions. And I love um, advocating the benefits of exercise to my patients. So essentially I get to talk about sport and exercise lots in endocrinology and that's why I'm doing it. Oh, I love that. Now for those, I, I reckon we just start with like the basics and just mm -hmm. go from there because I think a lot of the time there's all this talk in social media land and internet, Google. Well, there's a lot of hormone rubbish place. out there. <laughs> yeah. So can you break down, like what are hormones? So hormones are substances that our um, hormone organs and endocrine organ, they secrete and they travel through the blood to another organ to essentially kind of send a message for that organ to do something. So um, there's lots of different types of hormones. Often people think of them as just our sex hormones, you know, testosterone and estrogen. However, there's actually lots of different hormone systems. So um, insulin is an example. Our pancreas secretes insulin. And then the insulin travels all through our bloodstream to then act on the cells to have a certain effect, okay? And, and I guess what, what makes a hormone is that it travels somewhere else in the body. Other things send messages to cells to have effects, but only at that you know, local area, whereas hormones you know, travel around in the blood. So there's a few different classes of hormones. The main ones are, I think, of a, you know, steroid hormones, and they're secreted from the ovaries and testes and also the adrenals. A trick to know which ones are steroid hormones are that they normally end in O, like testosterone, 
progesterone or they end in ol. So um, like estradiol, cortisol. So that's a little hack for anyone who's uh, studying hormones at the moment. And yes. um, steroid hormones are made from cholesterol. They're, you know, the precursor. And that's, you know, something we touch on about, you know, nutrition, why a balanced diet with all the macros is important for hormone health. Mm. Then we have other classes of hormones, which are more our peptide hormones and our amino acid hormones. So some of the amino acid hormones that people might have heard of are, you know, our thyroid hormones, which is very important for, you know, metabolism, energy um, in children, you know, in growth, concentration. Then we have our peptide hormones. They're mainly secreted by the pituitary, which we'll talk about in the hypothalamus pituitary yes. adrenal axis. Yes. Um, and peptide hormones are your growth hormone, which all those, some naughty athletes like to dope with, um, <laughs> which is involved with, you know, as it says, growth, you know, maintenance of our muscles and growth in children, um, oxytocin, that's also, you know, peptide hormone, mm. really coming from the pituitary. So, yeah, essentially our hormones are either, you know, kind of proteins or cholesterol um, that go and send messages to other parts of the body. The steroid ones, they travel directly through the cell to the nucleus of the cell because um, they they're made of fat, so they can just travel through the cell membrane, which is a lipid, and then by acting on the nucleus, they cause, you know, um, protein synthesis, and that's how they go and do their roles. They're often... You know, we talk about um, anabolic. So, you know, it's causing growth. Then there's the amino acid and the peptide hormones. They act on the cell membrane because they're protein. They can't travel through the cell membrane. And they cause, you know, they're usually coupled to, I don't want to get too scientific, G-coupled protein receptors. And essentially, it's a series of second messages inside the, inside the cell. Sure. That's a now very... Uh, brief overview. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really big topic. So I think you did very, very well to try and bring that back down to what we can understand as these lay people <laughs> trying to work through what hormones are. Now, you mentioned uh, the HPA axis. I would love to touch on that because I think it is something that is getting, to, getting mentioned a lot uh, and probably without the understanding of what it actually is or what impacts it. So I'd love to kind of run through with you what that is and what kind of things impact that axis. Yeah. So, and this also helps us understand how hormones work mm. because often something needs to tell our organ to either increase its hormone production or decrease it. And the HP axis, HPA axis is a good example of this. Essentially, our hormone organs work together and one, the hypothalamus secretes hormones. So that's inside our brain. It's a very small area just below the thalamus, hypothalamus. And that secretes hormones that communicate to the pituitary, which is another little endocrine organ inside our brain. And then the pituitary sends hormones out to the rest of the body to act on the thyroid, the adrenal. And, you know, they're the organs that release the hormones that actually have the effect on our, you know, our cells and our muscles and do all the, the roles. So essentially it's a feedback system. So, depending on the levels of hormones in the blood um, that acts on the hypothalamus, it's kind of like a sensor and it says, oh, okay, I'm a little bit low in, you know, thyroid hormones. I'm going to tell the pituitary to release, you know, thyroid stimulating hormone. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the names are all quite self-explanatory. <laughs> um, so the pituitary, the hypothalamus says, oh, I'm low in thyroid hormones. I'm going to send a hormone 
to act on the pituitary to release thyroid stimulating hormone, which then acts on the thyroid, which is in our neck, to release more thyroid, you know, make more thyroid hormones. So it's a feedback system. It goes back the other way. If our thyroid hormones were very high, and um, the hypothalamus would, you know, tell, you know, to dampen down the production of those hormones. And that's really, it's called a feedback loop. And that's your know, negative feedback loop. And that will, is how most of our hormone systems are controlled. How cool is our bodies? My it's, word. It's pretty clever, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, this kind of brings me to this next question of what does it mean then when you hear that your hormones are out of balance or um, there's a hormone problem? So hormone imbalances are, you know, a correct phenomenon and a diagnosis. I think at the moment it is a little bit of a throwaway term used without being very specific because we have, you know, several different hormone systems um, and, you know, a hormone imbalance. It's like, hold on, we have so many different hormones in the system. Which hormones are you talking about? Mm. Um, however, we do, you know, I think of a hormone imbalance Usually I think of people are talking to sex hormone, referring to sex hormones and polycystic ovarian syndrome is a classic example of that mm. where, you know, we have too much male hormones in the system and not enough, or maybe not enough of the female hormones. Mm. Also, if you had a problem with, you know, your, let's say your thyroid wasn't making enough actual thyroid hormones, you'd have very high levels of thyroid stimulating hormones. Mm. So, there's lots of potential imbalances in that system because it's, you know, one organ communicating to another one, communicating to, a, you know, the organ that releases the hormones. And if there's a problem anywhere in that system, there will be an imbalance. Mm. However, to be honest, I think what when we hear most of the time about hormone imbalances now, it's, like I said, being used as a bit of a generalised term, which isn't very specific and doesn't really give people an explanation to what problems they're having. Mm. We often hear about, you know, there's, I think we'll talk a little bit about adrenal fatigue as a hormone imbalance, which, mm. you know, isn't really a correct diagnosis. And I also think it's people are roughly using, you know, a hormone imbalance when they're just really tired and stressed and we're trying to, you know, put a, a medical diagnosis to being, you know, burnt out. Um, so, yeah, so I'd say there's definitely true hormone imbalances. We see it if there's any problem with that um, HPA axis, so mm. hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis. Sometimes I also hear it being called the HPO axis, which also exists, which is the mm. hypothalamus, pituitary, ovarian axis. Essentially, it's anywhere in that kind of communication. Mm. So an imbalance is a problem with one of these systems, and that is definitely a medical phenomenon. But, yeah, it is being a bit of a throwaway term at the moment. Mm. so when we uh, like i can totally appreciate why this term has kind of come about i think any of us when we're not feeling ourselves or we're not achieving our best and not you know feeling um like we are progressing and feeling healthy we do want to label for it um i guess my big question there is is there a way to um if there is a hormone imbalance or we're feeling a little bit off is there such a thing as a hormone reset or rebalance and what may that look like if that's the case so, the, yeah, we see metabolism reset and hormone reset lately. And I wonder where our body's on and off switch are because, you know, I never knew the hypothalamus had one. Um, <laughs> to me, like a reset implies that you're turning something on and off. And we can't do that with our hormone systems. 
you know, the only way to reset our hormones or reset our metabolism would be to like, you know, die and then come back to life. <laughs> um, but there's definitely, you know, if our hormones are out of balance, often it's, you know, our estrogens and progesterones. That's what mm -hmm. I think is mainly being referred to. There are things that we can do, mm -hmm. but, you know, a single supplement to balance our hormones doesn't really make sense because we have so many different hormone systems. So, well, what is it acting on? You know, what are we monitoring? What are we measuring? Um, so, yeah, so I would be very wary if I saw anyone referring to a hormone reset. You often see programs being, and, you know, I'm not saying it's, you know, maybe, maybe it might be like a diet and exercise hormone reset. So I'm not saying it's a bad diet or a bad exercise you know, program. It's just being sold on false pretenses of, you know, what hormones are and how they work. Mm, you've you put that beautifully. And I think that's a really important thing to really put across as we venture into a few other, you know, areas of murky ground when it comes to hormones is that it's not saying that, you know, symptoms aren't something you're feeling. It's not saying that something you've done isn't warranted or, um, you know, healthy. It's just when we're seeing things sold in this way, it's not necessarily coming from a place of evidence and science. Yeah. I think that's especially true for what we hear about adrenal fatigue. Mm. I would hate for people when doctors say, you know, adrenal fatigue isn't a real condition for them to think that that's implying we don't think their symptoms are real because people, if they're feeling, you know, tired, exhausted, not the, the usual selves, of course that's real and of course there must be reasons behind this. It's just the condition that they're being labelled with isn't correct yeah. and that doesn't mean they don't um, require investigation and, you know, attention to how they're feeling. Just this, you know, term that's come up in the, oh, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm being um, judgmental of the alternative mm -hmm. health world, but that's where it's come up from. And, you know, they're maybe being sold expensive supplements that, you know, it's not going to change their adrenal hormones and, mm. you know, probably isn't the right thing and probably getting ripped off. Mm. Let's touch on adrenal fatigue now, I think, is seems though it's kind of come up through this anyway. Um, and, and I know, my, like for myself, I do see a lot of ads for adrenal specific um, supplements, which I think has then driven this extra interest. Can you touch on what it is defined as um, currently and why it may not be necessarily a real thing? Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit about our adrenal hormones as well. Yeah. yeah. So part of that access, you know, when I explained it, I referred to the thyroid. Mm -hmm. However, it also is the pituitary talking to the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands are two little glands that sit just above our kidneys and they secrete three main hormones. They secrete cortisol which is our, our stress hormone, and that's involved with blood sugar metabolism. It's also involved with keeping our blood pressure at the right amount. And, you know, it's important. It mobilizes energy, and it's, you know, that sympathetic nervous system. It's ingrained that if we see a dinosaur that wants to eat us, we get a big flood of stress, and it gives us lots of, you know, sugar in our blood and energy to run away from it. The bad side of cortisol is that if we have it too much, it does encourage, you know, um, weight gain around our tummies it can also have an immunosuppressive effect and so and also we see people who need to take cortisol you know steroids so often people think steroids are all bodybuilding anabolic steroids but um, steroids are also a synthetic version of cortisol and sometimes we need people to take that because they do have a immunosuppressive effect 
Mm. Um, and some people have diseases of their immune systems, you know, ulcerative colitis, asthma, where they need to take um, steroids and, you know, prednisolone is the common one. And we do see people, so I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but we do see people who take the synthetic version get the complications of too much cortisol, of, mm. you know, impaired immune system, thin skin, weight around the tummy. And, you know, normally for people that have a lot of stress, they may have high levels of cortisol. Probably not enough to cause, you know, weak bones or thin skin. But we do see, you know, when you're stressed and worn out, you're more likely to get a cold. And that is probably related to those high levels of cortisol. And sometimes you see in very lean athletes, you know, I think about cyclists and male cyclists who aren't doing proper recovery and they're super lean, but they've still just got a bit of fat on their tummy. And I reckon that might be due to that prolonged hypercortisol state. Anyway, so that's, you know, adrenals produce cortisol. It's a stress hormone, good for maintaining our sugar, blood pressure, but all the time, you know, can cause problems. Mm. And also, you know, noradrenaline and adrenaline is also released from the adrenal glands. You know, that's important for maintaining our blood pressure, important for our heart. Um, and it's also that sympathetic response that increases our adrenaline, noradrenaline. And the other one that people probably might not have heard of is aldosterone, which is a, it's called a mineralocorticoid. And that's involved with um, maintaining the right amount of fluid and salts in our body and acts on the kidneys. So that's what our adrenals do. And adrenals also produce some kind of sex hormones as well. Um, DHEAS, um, which can metabolize to estrogen and testosterone. So that's what our adrenals do. Um, and the theory behind adrenal fatigue is that if we have prolonged, um, so this is the theory in the alternative health or not mm. recognized by mainstream medicine. The theory is that if you have prolonged, um, you know, increased release of cortisol in time, you know, that's the stress hormone, in time your adrenals fatigue. Let me do, you can't see me because it's a it's podcast. A good podcast. <laughs> but I'm doing bunny ears, like putting it in quotations, your adrenals fatigue. And that then they don't work properly and you can't produce enough hormones. And so we're seeing people then sell online cortisol salivary tests to test people's levels of cortisol during the day and then go, oh, your cortisol's low, you have adrenal fatigue. And it's very important because to know that cortisol is actually a fluctuating hormone during the day. And a one-off test really means nothing. Also, you're doing these labs, they're getting sent off to these dodgy labs that aren't calibrated. You know, we don't really know how accurate these saliva tests are. So, and they so it's, anyway. So that's how people are being diagnosed with adrenal fatigue. They're doing salivary tests, they're not accurate. And it's just not how you test levels of cortisol because it's, the levels go up and down during the day anyway. Mm. Um, and that's the theory. In reality, our adrenal glands, you know, they don't fatigue. If they do have a problem, it's called adrenal insufficiency. This is what we recognize in medicine. And that's a serious problem. And people need, you know, urgent, you know, cortisone replacement. They usually present with low blood pressure, low blood sugars, electrolyte abnormalities, and it's usually due to an autoimmune condition. Hmm. So I guess the question is, if adrenal fatigue isn't a real problem, why are people feeling how they do? Yeah. And, you know, to me, it's not rocket science that if you're really stressed for weeks and or months and you have had really high levels of cortisol for a long time, you're going to feel rubbish. And that's, you know, that's 
burnout and that's a true condition Mm -hmm. and that's looking at lifestyle measures of are you getting any relaxation how is your sleep are you eating enough food you know if you're not eating enough carbohydrates or total calories that can also increase your cortisol Mm. so and i think that's where people are talking about a condition called hpa access dysfunction also kind of popular in the alternate health world I, to me, I'm, I don't know much about it because I don't go into all of the kind of alternative health diagnoses. However, I'm assuming it's, you know, prolonged stress and prolonged cortisol release. And I don't think that's H, there's anything wrong with your HPA axis. Mm-hmm. It's doing its job. Mm-hmm. You know? But the problem is the stresses in your life aren't a dinosaur coming to eat you. It's maybe your job, a bad relationship, you know, not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's, you know, really important to look at the lifestyle factors before spending too much money on supplements. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that you've done such a beautiful job of explaining that because, and, and to sum up, it's, you know, really appreciating that no, adrenal fatigue may not be a thing, but it doesn't mean your symptoms aren't real. Um, and that's a really important thing, I guess, because we don't want to get to a point where you may have had this diagnosis and it's missed something so much more important. Oh, um, exactly. And especially working with athletes, like, mm. there's, for athletes, they can be in a really difficult circumstance because, you know, they may be training 20 hours a week and it's like, well, what's normal fatigue versus pathological fatigue? Sure. And I would hate for athletes to be, you know, or anyone, athlete or not, be labelled with this diagnosis and mm. it to, miss, to miss something else a bit more concerning or mm. something that could be easily treated. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we touched a little bit on PCOS earlier. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners um, who would love to know a little bit more about what happens with PCOS and what causes that um, differing hormone levels and what we may be able to do to help um, support it and um, hopefully get to a point of being able to get pregnant and all those different goals that people have. Yeah. So polycystic, so PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And like any syndrome, it doesn't have a, you know, one-off test diagnosis. It's a syndrome. So it's a collection of symptoms. And if you have, you know, two out of three, it's called the Rotterdam criteria. And if you have two out of three, that's being classified as having PCOS. So those three are insulin resistance. And that's when your body is making insulin, but your cells aren't kind of using it properly to get the glucose into your cells. Mm. And as a response, your body has to hypersecrete lots and lots of insulin. So, you know, it's what we call pre-type 2 diabetes. Um, and so, yeah, hyperinsulinemia and insulin resistance, which causes all types of problems, makes it hard to lose weight. You can be tired, also cause, um, you know, lot women lose their periods from, you know, that hyperinsulinemia as well. Mm. So one criteria is the, you know, insulin resistance, and you diagnose that through a glucose tolerance test. Good times. Yeah. Oh, I know. When I, if when, the day that I'm pregnant, I don't think I want to do the oh. test. I'll be like, I just, I exercise enough. I'm not. So I, I will do it. I will do it. No. Well, one of my, actually, it's interesting you say that. One of my friends who was an elite triathlete actually mm-hmm. got um, gestational diabetes on both babies. Um, strongly yeah. genetic is the yeah. reality of it. Like all the women in my family have diabetes mm-hmm. and we're all really lean. Yeah. And it's, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. So many people think that type 2 diabetes is purely lifestyle, but for some people it's just, they've just got shitty pancreases, essentially. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, insulin is one of them, insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. The second one is the, um, you know, polycystic ovaries. 
so you know more than 20 um, you know cysts on the ovaries and then the third one is the kind of uh, androgen symptoms so the facial you know women having you know, more facial hair can be having some male pattern balding acne and that's due to the elevated male hormones the elevated testosterone so if you have two out of three you meet those criteria the exact cause of it is a little bit unclear and there's different kind of subtypes it's often associated with obesity you know carrying more fat on your body and especially because you know we know these hormones are made from cholesterol and our fat can actually create some hormones that's why some women who have obesity might not be able to fall pregnant because they're getting so much extra um, estrogen it's almost like being on the pill and that shuts down their ovaries so when they lose weight and lower those you know hormones then they can get a natural cycle again so that is one thing with polycystic ovarian syndrome for the you know group that it's a lot to do with having a higher bmi you know losing some weight and increasing physical activity can help um, get back a normal cycle and also um, might help with some of the other symptoms, you know, the, some of the skin and those type of symptoms. Now, there's also a group of women that have polycystic ovarian syndrome that are quite lean and exactly that group, it's a lot more kind of research into why it's happening. They often need to go on, you know, the pill and that can help with some of the kind of the androgen type, the androgen symptoms, the hair, the skin. Um, for some women who don't want to go on the pill, they can just have progesterone 10 days every few months because what we worry about with polycystic ovarian syndrome is that you're not getting a period, but you're still getting stimulation of the lining of the uterus, but mm. it's not falling away. Mm. So that is different to missing a pill because you're on the period. You're not having that, you know, um, you know, stimulation of the mm. um, uterus, the endometrium, the lining of the uterus. Mm. If you're getting with polycystic ovarian syndrome, that hyperstimulation does increase the risk of having a um, endometrial cancer and mm. become a precancerous lesion. So I think for a lot of women, when they miss their period, either due to relative energy deficiency syndrome or due maybe due to polycystic ovarian syndrome, they can go, oh, it's kind of nice not having a period. I don't have to worry about it. But it's really important to, you know, if you've had more than a few months of missing a period to talk to a doctor about it. Then there's other also pharmacological options are, you know, metformin can improve insulin sensitivity um, for the insulin resistance. And then there's also some other natural, um, you know, treatments that we are looking at as well that do have some evidence as well. Mm. The thing is it's hard to get blanket evidence for polycystic ovarian syndrome because each individual person is so different mm. and their symptoms are different and their cause is different. So it really does need to be a tailored approach. However, for all people, the lifestyle and the exercise is really important. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Is. I think there is like a lot of, this is a big space and to put everything in one podcast, we're doing our best, but we may have to divvy up and do one whole podcast on these yes, topics, and, I think. And polycystic ovarian syndrome needs so much more research. Yeah. I think, to be honest, I think women's health, and I don't want to make this an all women's health episode, yeah, but I think women's reproductive health hasn't got enough research mm. or attention or money than it's deserved, you know. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is 10 to 20% of women at reproductive age. So, you know, that's one in five women. We mm. need to know more about this condition. Mm. Thanks, Is. Oh, 110% on board with that. Now, as you did actually mention during that spot, we that word of relative energy deficiency came up. 
And I'd love to touch on that because it's not just something for women to talk about. It is absolutely something that impacts men as well. Now, on the topic of hormones, this is a really big foundation of what happens in energy deficiency. And I would love to hear your explanation of what happens when we're in a low energy available state, either as athletes or just active individuals. This isn't just for elite athletes, by the way. Yeah. So it's pretty self-explanatory in a way that our body is a low in a low energy available state. So it doesn't have enough energy to meet all of its demands. So not only is that relevant to your you know, training, you can't, you know, perform as well as you want. Your immune system's not getting enough energy. So that's why people might be more likely to get coughs and colds or, you know, other illnesses. Also, their immune system is involved with um, uh, repair of injuries or even like a scratch on your leg. If you're in a low energy available state, your immune cells aren't getting enough energy to go and, you know, fix up that mucky torn muscle or, you know, fix up the cut on your knee. Then other ways it impacts is, you know, we commonly think about bone health. Uh, our body doesn't have enough energy to do normal appropriate bone turnover. And this is in men and women. The group that I really worry about are male cyclists because they often don't have any warning. Well, they don't have as much of a warning sign. For women, it's quite clear you lose your period. The equivalent for men is like loss of a morning erection, which and they, I, whenever I tell groups about that they will laugh and tell me I'm giving them sex advice but it is quite important and that loss of morning erection can indicate low testosterone in men and especially in cyclists because they need to be really lean and because they're not doing any um, you know weight bearing impact exercise often they have quite weak bones and then the disaster is if they crash so this is an area I'm quite passionate about is male cyclists then other parts of energy availability, you know, apart from your immune health, bone health, obviously um, for women, reproductive health, they're not ovulating. The body's saying, this is not a good time for you to be pregnant. You wouldn't healthily carry a baby. It turns off ovulation. Um, also, you know, skin, hair, that can also be affected. A few things that are really important for people to know about energy availability is that it's not just people that are super lean. Um, you know, you can be... For me, I lose my periods even at a BMI above 20. So I, you know, really specifically know what weight I lose my periods and always need to be above that. Um, the other thing is you can, if you're increasing your training load and you're not, you're the dietitian, you know all about this. Um, oh, I, I know. I, please keep going. I, I love it. Like if you are increasing your training load, you know, you might be losing a little bit of weight, you know, in terms of total body weight but you can still have a bigger body and be in that lower energy available state. So you can still lose your period, have the, you know, osteopenia, develop osteopenia. So that's it. Yeah, a few things to know about is that you don't need to be super lean um, to get it. You can thinking that you're, you know, eating enough. You, you might be feeling like you're eating enough, but athletes, you know, if you're training 20 hours a week, you just need so much more food. And I think a lot of athletes, and I'm sure you go through this with them. They think, you know, if I eat more food, it's going to result in weight gain. But it just doesn't because their body has the fuel to, you know, do all of its functions. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. And, so, and so often it, it is accidental. Um, and yeah. I think that's something that people are like, oh, well, I'd only do that if I was super lean or if I had disordered eating. Mm. It's, it's definitely not something that would happen to me. But to be fair, it's very easy to happen accidentally. It could be, you know, time just 
available time oh. to eat is low yeah. budget can be an issue um but also busy, um, you yeah. know busy at work and i think a lot yeah. of people don't factor in their jobs to their mm. you know their total loading you know if you're on your 100%. feet you feel like a physio what an active mm. job so yeah. and the other thing um with especially for women is that often they think going on the pill is like a fix for um, the bone health. Wait, you brought this up. Aspect, mm. Mm. and I think in the past, it, it, you know, that was the first line therapy. However, recently we've had some big studies show that going on the pill is pretty equivocal of if it increases our bone density or not. You know, obviously the first line management is seeing a dietitian, getting the you know root cause of the problem sorted. Mm. However, you know, looking after people's bone health is important in the interim. And so now we look at, well, we give estrogen patches. Like I said, I've been looking after a few rowers in clinic. And rowers are just so tough because they need to be at the low weight and mm. it's hard anyway. So mm. we do have estrogen patches now because that um, bypasses the first pass liver metabolism. Mm -hmm. And for men as well, you know, but, you know, the gold standard of treatment and what people need to do is you know, look at their nutrition, look at their training, look at their recovery. But for um, the bone health, we give estrogen patches. And it's important for women if they're on the pill to know that it can mask relative energy deficiency syndrome because the period you have on a pill, it's actually just a withdrawal bleed. You're not ovulating. So if you're, you know, the BMJ actually released, BJSM released a statement recently saying they don't advise women athletes be on um, the pill. And recommend if they need it for contraception if you know looking for a contraception um mm -hmm. something that doesn't suppress ovulation such as you know barrier contraception or the marina in most people doesn't suppress mm -hmm. ovulation either yeah fantastic advice because i was i was one of those 15 year olds that um was in energy deficiency which i know now mm -hmm. but at that time i did not know i was a cross-country runner very active hockey all these types of things and just was very delayed in menarche and went to the doctor and they're like oh we'll put you on the pill, we'll get it started. And yeah, it was just one of those things that I, I didn't even know to question. And I'm so glad that there's this conversation mm. now to go, no, find a doctor that knows exactly what's going on. Find a doctor that isn't going to just settle with, oh, well, they're not trying to get pregnant, it's fine. It's all about knowing what's happening here and what the flow on effects are going to be in terms of that bone health longer term in particular, but also um, that um, the product, like reproductive function as well. So I think it's such a good example of something being common, but that doesn't mean it's normal. And oh, un love it. <laughs> unfortunately, I think there has been a little bit of misunderstanding and, you know, amongst the medical profession as well of, you know, oh, you're an athlete, this is normal. And it's like, no, it's not normal, it's common. <laughs> and, you know, I think there's such great work in this space being done. I don't know if you know of Stacey Sims um, and, you know, similar people really making this more common knowledge. There's still so much taboo even talking about periods, you know. Mm -hmm. I love that Stacey Sims in her um, her lectures at the start of it, she says, you know, get everyone to say, everyone say period, <laughs> yeah. menstruation. Yeah, because you're <laughs> going to hear a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, to get rid of this taboo. Yeah. You know, male coaches need to be all right with asking, mm -hmm. you know, female athletes. It's 20, 10, 20, for goodness sakes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. so... Yeah, it's one of those things that I think I'm really glad we got to cover today. Um, I, I did want to touch a little bit more on that fatigue before we finish up, because I think, you know, you, you said it earlier, like, well, how do we know the difference between just fatigue from training and then fatigue to that next level of it being to the point of dysfunction and a really big struggle? 
Um, and what's, what causes that level of fatigue? I guess a couple of things. First thing, it's good to talk about fatigue versus kind of somnolence or drowsiness. Mm. And they're quite different. Mm. Fatigue, you know, sleepiness is when if you put your head down on the pillow, you just fall asleep versus being tired and, you know, not being able to, knowing that you wouldn't be able to get to sleep. So you're that kind of tired. Mm. Um, the most common cause of fatigue is the most obvious one. I'll get you to say what you think it is, which I'm sure with three kids you'd understand quite well. Has to be sleep deprivation, surely. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think our lives are becoming, you know, we have so many shortcuts in our life these days, you know, everything with all the technology, but we can't shortcut our biology. We need sleep. And I think in the 80s and 90s, there was this terrible culture of, you know, you can sleep when you're dead, sleep is for the weak. Mm. However, you know, humans can't function optimally on less than seven hours sleep. And for athletes, they need that extra recovery. You know, I would say most athletes really should be sleeping eight hours a day if you're training eight hours a day. If you're, if you're training every day, you need that extra recovery. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the, getting the base, when it comes to fatigue, so often I think people skip the basics of, am I sleeping enough? Am I eating enough? Mm. You know, am I getting enough relaxation? Um, you know, people that drink heaps of coffee but can still sleep, that will impact your sleep. So, you know, Obvious ones is, are you getting enough sleep? Then, you know, into other things with knowing, you know, because athletes will be tired, especially if they're working full-time jobs. At the end of the day, that is reality. Yep. Um, but things that I say, you know, this is showing you're not getting enough sleep is, you know, are you napping regularly in the day? Or, you know, do you fall asleep in the day? Really, that's showing that you're not getting enough sleep. Mm. That's different to, you know, a few times a week feeling quite tired. Then... Other things that make me think about, you know, concerning sleeping factors, um, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you're still really tired, that's mm. also a bit of a red flag that, you know, something's not going right. Mm. So looking at the causes of why people could be really tired, this is once you've got the basics down pat, looking at, I guess, your sleep quality. So are you flicking through your phone just before you go to bed and then falling asleep? That will impact your natural sleep rhythm. Also, are you taking sleeping tablets? You know, we heard about the sagas of the swimmers a few years ago taking mm. sleeping tablets mm. and they interfere with the natural sleep cycle. Of we go through kind of non-REM to REM and going through that natural progression is quite important to get the most out of our sleep. And especially those, those deep non-REM stages are very important for restoration um, and recovery. So, you know, are you taking any sleeping tablets? Are you drinking alcohol before you go to bed? That can also interfere mm. with the um, sleep cycle. Then other things with sleep quality, you know, obstructive sleep apnea, it's normally associated with having a, a bigger neck. And for listeners, obstructive sleep apnea is where your jaw and your neck actually obstructs your airway. Um, and so it means that in the middle of the night, you stop breathing. And so you wake up shocked. Often people don't even know they're doing it and it's often their partners who, you know, raise the alert. It's like, mm. oh, goodness me, they snore so loudly and then they stop breathing and then mm. they wake up and go, <gasps> and then they go back to sleep. So mm. sleep, if you're waking up, you know, really exhausted with a headache, that can also be sleep apnea. It is usually associated with obesity and a very large neck. But for some people, it can just be the shape of their jaw. Mm. Then other causes of fatigue in athletes that we see commonly is iron deficiency. And um, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called hip strike hemolysis. And that first was shown in um, 
in the army, in soldiers. Um, and literally that slapping of your foot can cause your red cells to burst and that can result in iron deficiency. Obviously women who menstruate each month at increased risk of iron deficiency. And also now, you know, plant-based and, you know, plant-based and vegetarian diets um, are great. I'm actually, you know, but they can be increased risk of having an iron deficiency as well, if, you know, not being done well. Hmm. Then, so iron deficiency we see commonly. Then going back to hormone health, um, you know, thyroid problems are not uncommon, especially in women. You know, Hashimoto's is, you know, really quite common. Then celiac disease as well is one in 100 people and often can just present with fatigue. Depression is quite important to talk about. Some people often depression can be more of a physical presentation, you know, needing more sleep, low in motivation, low in energy. Mm. And I think that's, you know, if I had a patient that came to me with low energy, it would be really important for me to talk about their mood. Other causes of fatigue, I guess as well, just not recovering well enough. Mm. Um, I really love... That's a big one. Mm. I love the term, what is it, you know, because overtraining is very rare, but under-recovering is very common. Mm. So, you know, are you getting your rest days fully? And are your rest days a proper rest day? You know, Absolutely. if you're working a 12-hour day mm. with high levels of psychological stress, mm-hmm. you know, doing over 10,000 steps, not eating enough, that's not a rest day. Exactly <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of us, um, particularly in that triathlete running and um cycling circle they're training like a professional athlete but aren't able to recover like a professional athlete well like last year i was started doing training for triathlon Mm. because i was working part-time and then this year i just realized it was just impossible with my Mm. medical work especially if i'm trying to do the extra bits and pieces on the side and i just yeah it was impossible i would never have had any recovery so I take my hat off to triathletes of how they fit it all in, especially if they have a full-time job and if they have kids, oh my goodness. Yeah. They must all have secret time turners. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a Harry Potter nerd. <laughs> I know, I was like, I know this. <laughs> so yeah, so the under-recovering is, is important. But yeah, mm. definitely, you know, the first things if you were fatigued and like I said, if you're sleeping well, eating enough and you're still tired all the time, that's when you want to, you know, talk to a doctor. Other things are, you know, glandular fever is not uncommon in young athletes. Um, occasionally we see kind of post-viral syndrome. And they're the main big ones. You're yeah. kind of getting a bit and more. I think, yeah, and I think what even just going through those big causes of fatigue has really highlighted is that all of these things are really important to pay attention to. And putting like something like a label of adrenal fatigue on everything is missing some really core things that, will need attention oh. much more than just taking a supplement. So I hope that has really allowed every, all of our listeners to appreciate that lots of different things lead to fatigue. No one person's the same and no one supplement is going to be the solution. Um, and that it's really, really important to um, listen to your body and to follow all those cues and really allow yourself to practice that self-care, like you mentioned. Um, and it's such a buzzword that I'm frustrated has become a buzzword because it is such an important part of our days and something that is really hard to fit in sometimes. Yeah. And, oh, definitely. I have, I'm still trying, I'm a busyness addict and I'm yeah. trying to recover from it. Yeah. And I guess one thing is that is important and that might be a situation for some of the listeners mm is that people say, I feel really, really fatigued. And I went to the doctor and I got mm. all the blood tests and they were all normal. 
Yes. Yes. And that can be a really challenging situation. Mm. That's when a couple of things I would say is one, you know, if you're an athlete, are you seeing a GP or doctor that specializes? Because, you know, GPs subspecialize, you know, some GPs are, you know, people that wanted to be plastic surgeons, but decided for lifestyle reasons, I'd do GP. So all they care about is skin cancers and whatever surgical stuff they can do. Mm. Or some people specialize in women's health or mental health. So really trying to find a GP that has a little bit of an interest in sport and athletes, I think would be important. Mm. Then also it's the other thing is, you know, so if all of your blood tests are normal, that's when it's so important to look at the lifestyle. Mm. You know, if you're drinking heaps every weekend and not getting enough sleep, your blood test might be normal, but you are going to feel rubbish. Mm. Then you can always, you know, see the doctor, you know, after doing a few weeks of the lifestyle stuff and you're still feeling terrible, see the doctor again. Sometimes blood tests, you know, they do vary accordingly day to day mm. and it's not a bad idea to see the doctor again. Mm. And the other thing is if your results are abnormal, it's still good to go and see the doctor and talk about them. Sometimes I think, you know, especially if you come go to a GP practice where they just say, oh, the results are normal, you don't need any follow-up. I think, still think it's so important to see your doctor to talk about the results. Mm. You know, was, you know, ferritin, for example, that's how we measure iron. The cutoff is 20. So, you know, if your ferritin's 21, supposedly mm. it's normal. Mm. It's really not that different to being 20 or 19. It's still mm. going to make you tired. Mm. So I think finding a GP that you work well with and you're feeling like you're on the same team, and that mm. might be, you know, seeing a GP that doesn't involve bill. I think, I don't know how well that would go down with listeners have a you know, realistically bog filling GP. They just can't practice medicine that they probably like to because it's a 10 minute appointment. And I think if you, you know, we pay money to see the physio or a naturopath or whatever, you know, maybe paying the $30 gap to see a GP who's got a bit more time and can be a bit more thorough may be beneficial. Yeah, I, I think that you've probably touched on something that um, does happen because when we get the result from our doctor that say our blood tests are all normal, we then go, okay, I can't go back to the doctor, so I guess I'm going to find an alternative. Hmm. And that's yeah. where we, we do seek a, an answer, and I think that's fair. And like so many, like most of my girlfriends are non medical. Mm. So I, I talked about this because it's something mm. that they've said to me, you know, I feel crap, I've gone to the GP, I've got results, they're all normal what do I do now? Mm. And that's when it's, you know, they probably haven't done a really thorough set of blood tests. They've probably mm. just looked at some basic things. Mm. That's when it's, you know, taking the time to, you know, go more in depth, see if there's anything else, talk about your sleep, talk about your mood. So mm. I always encourage people to follow up blood tests, even if they weren't normal. That's great advice. Thanks so much, Is. I'm really conscious of time and I know podcasts can go for a long time. And I, I was so aware of this one, like there are some massive topics in here. So um, if you have questions, if you'd like to reach out, please do so because we will be able to, you know, divvy up and go into maybe a full episode on just one of these topics, I think, um, because they just did cover so much. So Izzy, so much appreciated. Like your insights were awesome. And I think the way you can translate them to your own experience and also to those around you that you care about has just added so much to your discussion. So thank you. Oh, thanks so much, Alicia. It was fun. Uh, awesome. Now, before we go, you've been up to a new little project for your very own podcast, and I'd love to be able to share that with listeners. Can you just tell us what it is and um, how people can get on board? Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm an ambassador for the Movember charity, the men's health and mental health charity. And last year, one of the other ambassadors had a podcast and he got me on it. And he said, Izzy, how about we start a podcast? And 
he's a captain in the army and I'm, you know, a doctor. So we decided to make a podcast called Behind the Uniform. And it's all about, it's not just for people who wear a uniform. It's a metaphor for, we put on a front often that everything's fine. Mm. We're going great. And most of the time there's so much more happening. Mm. And so I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I thought there was lots of podcasts that were either, you know, just really chatty and a few mates having a bit of a chat about how they're going or the other end of the spectrum was quite clinical psychology podcasts that were quite academic and a bit mm. like a lesson. Mm. So we had this dream that we wanted to make something in the middle mm. that was enjoyable for people to listen to, but also listen to some really inspiring stories from our guests, but then gave some people some really clear take homes about, you know, mental health, resilience, you know, dealing with failure, all of those mm. things that inevitable inevitably happen in life but can be really hard and, you know, giving people some tools to deal with them. So, yes, we have made a podcast for Behind Uniform. Had some awesome guests. We had Moses Henriquez, the Aussie cricketer the other day, and Wraith Anasta, who's a you know, Fox footy commentator and was an NRL, I think 300 grams or something. Mm. I felt so bad. I'm from Tasmania. We don't yes, even know what rugby is down really? there. <laughs> and, you know, heaps of other cool guests. So, yeah, I'd love people to have a listen. I think, mm. especially at the moment with, COVID, it's been just a recipe for poor mental health for so many reasons. And yeah. I think there's never been a more important time for people to be proactive and self-aware about their own mental mm. health. Absolutely. Now, um, before we go, what's your next plan running wise? Like when races start back up again, what would you love to achieve? I was supposed to do UTA 50, which is a mm. trail run in October. They haven't officially canceled it yet. Mm-hmm but I'm highly suspicious yeah. they will. Yeah. Um, but that's on the back burner. Um, and then I am trying to more work on some shorter distance PBs. I'm working with someone Good. called Lydia O'Donnell, who's a run coach. Um, she's amazing. And so yeah, getting my uh, shorter runs a bit quicker and then down the, tr- uh, down the track, getting back into that endurance stuff. But it's like a drug to me. I love the, you know, pain cave. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> Fantastic, Is Thank you so much for joining us. I know you've got a very busy schedule and you've run yourself into the ground the last few weeks. So <laughs> uh, I think we both need to listen to our own advice here. Take a little Definitely. bit of time to recover <laughs> and uh, also just relax a little bit. So I hope you have a wonderful rest. What are we up to? I hope you have a wonderful Friday, week. weekend. Yes. You too, Alicia. Yes. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, Is. Thank you so much for listening to the Compete Waffle. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learnt lots um, from Izzy's chats and translations. Now, I will link her Instagram account, but also the podcast she mentioned at the end of this podcast in the show notes and the show description so that you can follow along and gain more insights from the incredible Dr. Izzy. Uh, If any of this resonated with you, I know we mentioned a lot around um, eating enough, uh, energy intake, eating well, uh, managing fatigue and also energy deficiency. So if any of that resonated and you would like to start a chat with us, please reach out. There is a really big space for nutrition support in those areas. uh, And we really do allow um, us just to connect on a level, first of all, just to get to know each other uh, and really get to know you and your goals. So if you would like to get that started, we do have a free assessment with the beautiful Michaela on our website, which you can link to the free assessment, get started, get that conversation rolling and see what the best next steps are to um, feeling better um, and really performing better uh, into your potential. So thank you so much again for joining us. Cannot wait to have you on the next podcast and I hope you enjoyed this one. Cheers.